morning, church family. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, that's right. Merry Christmas. Uh, before we get to the sermon, um, sometimes how the day looks is how you feel inside. It's been a challenging time for us. You know, our family's been going under a trial. Um, last week, we had to ambulance my dad to the hospital and low O2 levels. And it's been challenging. And my brother and I and mother, we have to go see him today and to kind of decide how far we want to take the care. That's kind of the decision that's looming in our minds. And in some ways, I'm praying that the Lord would make the decision for us, you know. And uh, But our hearts are full. I, mean, I talked to Mako and, and others. And, and, and as a father and as sons, I mean, he gave us everything that we ever needed. But definitely wasn't a perfect relationship or anything like that. But we have everything that we needed. God is so gracious that, uh, to provide a father like him. And so as I was studying Mark chapter 5, 21 to 43, there was a particular encouragement to me. I mean, so many themes are just popping out. And it's one of those times where the Spirit of God just burning His Word deep into your soul. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to see some of this out of Mark chapter 5. So let's rise. Let's read Mark 5, 21 to 43 together. Let's see where we can find hope no matter what. No matter what. No matter what. Mark chapter 5, 21 to 43, Jesus just healed the uh, demoniac on a secluded beach and is met by this crazy man and he heals him and saves him and then he gets on the boat with his disciples and goes westward again and gets back into Jewish territory and now he's mobbed with a crowd and there's a synagogue official waiting to greet him there. So uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, God's word says this. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. 
And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And he entered in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that your spirit allow me to preach your word with power. I pray your spirit will waken hearts as Pastor Kenny prayed to deepen our love for you, deepen our affection for you. Put color into the picture that we have of you. Give us texture of your son, Jesus Christ, through the preaching of your word. Help us to see what's in his mind and what he is looking for in the crowd. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Who does Jesus see in the crowd? Who does Jesus see in the crowd? It's a crowded world today. It is a crowded world today. With limited opportunities, we're taught to needing to stand out. Socially, we'll do whatever it takes to look the part. We'll work out. We'll dress a certain way. We'll work on our reputation. We'll work on our social media posts. Employers and universities need to see something, right, parents? Something needs to pop out of your resume, out of your application, whether it's your GPA, your test scores, whatever it may be, your achievements, your extracurricular activities. Something needs to pop for us to stand out in the crowd. So we do everything we can to fit the criteria. Well, who does Jesus see in the crowd? God is looking for his people in the crowd. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And Jesus today is coming to look for his people in the crowd, in the crowd. So we're going to definitely see the compassionate side of Christ we're going to see his grace and mercy, his supernatural knowledge. We're going to see his power even. He's going to raise this little girl from the dead. But today, we're going to take, focus in into the mind of Christ, though. You're going to see these things. Let's focus in on the mind of Christ. What is he looking at? What is he looking for in the crowd? So we're simply going to just march down this story. And then at the end, we'll have three... Encouragements, three common threads that go throughout this whole uh, portion of Scripture that encourages us in Christ. So first question, we're going to keep asking this one question. It's the only question. Who does Jesus see in the crowd? Well, Jesus sees the dignified official, the dignified official. Like I said earlier, Jesus was interrupted and met by this demoniac, this maniac that comes to almost jump him. 
And, and it's in, in a secluded place. Right now, this is a whole different setting. We're back on Jewish soil, and he is surrounded by a huge crowd. And they're in that middle of the crowd is a synagogue official, Jairus. Verse 22 says, this one of the synagogue official named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet. I mean, what is a synagogue official? A synagogue official is the ruler of a local synagogue. If you're not accustomed to hearing synagogue, this is basically a local Jewish worship center. Okay? This is where they worship their God, and they got together in local sites outside of Jerusalem. And this, so Jairus, the synagogue official or this synagogue ruler, would have been entrusted to organize the worship. He would pick the music. He would pick the scripture reading. He would even pick the speakers. He may not necessarily do the preaching, but he'll have someone ready to go that Saturday. And he was also perhaps entrusted to care for the building and facilities of the synagogue. So he was definitely a known face in the crowd, this Jairus. He was a powerful, influential, and perhaps probably a wealthy man since he has a home with different rooms. He was respected and esteemed. He was a big deal. He was definitely a dignified man in that crowd. So Jesus sees him. And out of his desperation, what does he do? He falls at his feet. This word carries the meaning of like from a standstill, he just drops to his feet. Drops to Jesus' feet. And it says, he implored him earnestly, begged Jesus, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. My one and only daughter, Jesus, please, I beg you, listen to me. My one little girl. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well or be saved and live. Please come with me fighting hard for Jesus' attention that he would come and follow him to his home. What's very clear out of this portion of Scripture is that trials are very clarifying. God uses trials. These are hard things in our, in our lives. In biblical counseling, we've been taught it's the heat that God brings in our lives. We find out what's most important. For Jairus, it was his daughter, his one and only daughter. It finds out, we find out where our hope is at. Where does Jairus turn to when he's at his wit's end, when no one else could help? Well, he turns to Jesus Christ. Praise God. So the dignified official Jairus is willing to lay aside his pride and his reputation. Keep in mind, he was a religious ruler. He may have been at odds with Christ. If he was, look at what it took for him to just humble himself and I'm going to go to him publicly. This is not like Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night on the cloak of darkness. This is where all to see, whoa, 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 that's Jairus at the feet of Jesus Christ. And you could be rest assured there are Pharisees planted in this crowd. These are religious rulers who are watching this like, Whoa, whoa, we had high hopes for this Jairus. What is he doing at the feet of Jesus Christ? I thought he was with us. So Jairus is jeopardizing a lot. His reputation, his social standing, his opportunity to climb. There was a lot that was put on the line right here. 
But humbled, he comes to Jesus. Jesus uses this trial to draw Jairus to him. Verse 24, does he see him? You bet he does. And he, Jesus, went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Jesus sees this man. Jesus sees this man. He is not impressed by his credentials, his robes, his clothes, his wealth, his home, any of that. But Jesus sees him. And as as the story goes, as he goes with Jairus, who else does Jesus see in the crowd? Well, Jesus sees this, the destitute woman. He sees this destitute woman. I mean, how destitute was this woman? This woman was the opposite of Jairus. If Jairus was known and esteemed and respected and valued and sought after, this woman, she doesn't even have a name. She's just the woman who was bleeding. Was the opposite. She was low on the totem pole of society. It says that she has, she is going undergoing intense suffering, which left her destitute. I mean, she experienced physical suffering. This woman. It says that she had twelve years of hemorrhaging, and this word hemorrhage in the original language talks about flow of blood, flow of blood. So, what type of hemorrhaging or bleeding is this? This is a, a menstrual issue. A perpetual menstrual issue. And this would have left her anemic, physically weak, tired, and worn out for 12 long, miserable years. Physically, she was suffering. She was also suffering financially. How do we know this? Well, it says that she endured much at the hands of the physicians, and she spent all that she had. She was a poor beggar. There's no welfare system back then. There's no stimulus checks coming to her, none of that. This woman would have to survive by begging. And some of the things that she did that the doctors, physicians of the day asked her to do were just outright superstitious things. The Jewish Talmud, which is a record of Jewish writings and Jewish uh, application of the law, describes some of these practices. Some of these things were calling these people who are bleeding to place the ashes of an ostrich egg in a sackcloth. That'll heal you. That'll help you get better. Or how about this one? She was to carry around a barley corn kernel found in the dung of a female donkey. I mean, this is superstitions, things that she was doing to get healed. And she was spending her time, her resources, to, in hope of getting better. Matter of fact, the the Bible says her condition worsened. She got worse over the 12 years. She suffered. But the biggest suffering might have come at the hands of social and religious suffering. Leviticus 15 talks about a woman who's bleeding is unclean. And if she kept bleeding for 12 years, she was considered unclean for 12 years. Leviticus 15 will go on to say, if anybody has contact with her or the things that she had contact with exposed to her, they will be unclean too. So if she was married, good chance she wasn't married anymore. This is a lonely existence. She was similar to a leper. If you, if we've, as we covered a leper before in the past, she wasn't allowed into society, into the markets, into the marketplace. And most painfully, she wasn't allowed into the synagogue as well. She was unclean. She was unclean. She was treated like this. She was a destitute woman. 
So what does she do? Verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, his garments. Verse 28, why? For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. She must have thought to herself, I know that I'm supposed to stay away. I know people may recognize me, but this is my one and only chance to get well. I need to touch Jesus. I know he can heal me. I know he can heal me. I'll just come behind him. And since there's a huge crowd, nobody will know. I just got to touch him. I will be healed. So she responds to what she believed. She had, this little faith that she had causes her to action. In verse 27, she heard about Christ. She heard that he was doing all these miracles. There's something different about this man, this rabbi, this teacher. So she comes to Christ. She violated some rules there, but I don't care. I need to see Christ. No one's going to get in my way. And not only that, she crawls to a position to be able to touch him. Her faith drew her to Christ, and Christ used the trial to draw her closer. And she was completely healed. She was right. This is immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she she must have been thinking, I could feel it. The flow has stopped. She knew right away, I'm not bleeding anymore. And no one needs to know. I mean, all she wanted was healing. She didn't need a crowd to notice her. She didn't need any fame. She just wanted a little piece of Jesus. Could you just give my life back to me? Can I just live as a normal person? I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be famous. I just want to live a normal life. And her heart must have sunk what happens next. She must have been thinking, oh no, what's happening? He's stopping. What's going on? Verse 30 says, Immediately Jesus, perceiving himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Right? Jesus stops everything to ask this question, which was ridiculous to the disciples. What do you mean, Jesus, who touched your garments? There's all kinds of people pressing up on you. Of course people are touching your garments. What do you mean by that? It's a ridiculous question. Well, Jesus stops everything for this woman. The most urgent man, keep in mind, in the background, Jairus' daughter is hanging on by a thread here. Okay, she's on life support. She's hanging on by a thread. And Jairus, who ran the synagogue, he is the ruler of the synagogue, is put on hold. For who? For a woman who's not even allowed to go into Jairus' synagogue. Jesus stops everything and asks, who touched my garments? Verse 32, and he looked around to see the woman who had done this. He's searching. He's looking around. This word carries the meaning of like he's hunting, he's searching, like like finding a needle in a haystack, looking for this woman. Jesus wants to see who touched me. I want to know this person. I want to know her. I want to see her. I want to have a conversation. I want to talk to her. 
Jesus had an appointment for this woman. Similar to other appointments that he's divinely appointed, this was a divine appointment. God draws her in through the trials of her life to have this defining moment happen right here. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. And Jesus sees this woman and talks to her. Verse 33. This is a tender moment. And the woman fearing and trembling. Perhaps a lot of fear and trembling because of being exposed to the crowd. But I think her heart was terrified experiencing God. Who am I dealing with? It's all true what I heard about this Jesus. He is that powerful. Who am I dealing with? And it says that she fell down just like Jairus, fell down before him at his feet, and publicly confesses everything that she just did. I am unclean. I know I'm not supposed to touch you. But Jesus, understand the life that I've had for 12 years. And Jesus didn't need an explanation. He knew her life from before she was even born. But you were my only hope. All these doctors, all these experts, they don't know what they're doing. All the religious rulers, they just turned their back on me, calling me unclean. I needed to come to you. I knew that you could heal me. Why did Jesus do all of this? I mean, he could have healed her and just kept it going and made it to Jairus' house perhaps on time before Jairus' little daughter died. Why did he do this? To embarrass her, perhaps? To teach her a lesson? You're unclean, you're not supposed to be here. To call her out? Why? Of course not. We know this. This is not what the Lord is doing here. Jesus had more for her. Jesus knew that there's a diamond in the rough right here, right at his feet. Jesus knew that one of his prized possession was in this crowd, this woman. This woman. Jesus had much more in store for her than physical healing. Of course he cared about her physical healing, but Jesus had much bigger plans for her. And Jesus is about to expand her faith right now. Jesus is about to elevate her faith to the moon right now. Verse 34, he says this, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith, your trust, your confidence in me has made you well. This word is sozo. This word could be translated made well or saved you. And oftentimes in the New Testament, the New, New Testament authors use this word sozo to talk about those who have been regenerated, who have been, who have been, who have been saved of, of their sin. So was, she, was Jesus talking about her physical condition or was Jesus talking about her sinful soul? Well, here's some clues here as we look at the Bible. Just the Bible always has the answers. Oftentimes it's right there under our nose, verse 34. He calls him daughter. He calls her daughter. This is more than a term of endearment here, church. Jesus was elevating this destitute woman to a different level. <laughs> you're a daughter. You're, you're a child of God now. We're family now. That's one big clue. The next thing after he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Shalom. 
You have peace with God now. It's all good. You have nothing to worry about. You are saved from God, saved from your, the penalty of sin. You no longer are at odds with God. You go in peace. It's all good now. Shalom. See, if you're a non-believer, you're at odds with God. No matter how good you are, no matter how nice you are, we've all been inflicted by this disease called the sin virus. If you're a non-believer, you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you're at odds with God. There is no peace. Maybe the bills are being paid. Maybe you got some kind of a health, a level of health or fitness. Maybe you got good relationships. But the one relationship that matters with God is you're at odds with him. And so this lady, just as Jesus says to his disciples, peace I give to you, Jesus gives her eternal peace. And I believe salvation has come to this woman. He had much more for her than physical healing, although that, that was a significant event. He had spiritual healing for her to bring her into the family of God. Oh, and by, by the way, in verse 34 at the end, it says, and be healed of your affliction. Oh, by the way, you're also going to be healed of your bleeding. The first line of business for the Lord was to make sure she knew that she was a saved woman. She's in the family of God. She's a daughter of the high and mighty one. And be healed of your affliction. Well, what happens next? The crowd keeps moving now. Jesus moves, the crowd moves. And who does Jesus next see in the crowd? Jesus sees the dead girl. Jesus sees the dead girl. Jairus, in verse 35, gets the phone call that no father wants to hear in the middle of the night. This is the phone call that you never, ever want to hear. And verse 35 says, while he was still speaking, Jesus was speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died why trouble the teacher anymore? I mean, the desperate synagogue ruler is more from being desperate to hopeless now. It's over. He must have been thinking, oh no, why did we stop? Why did we stop? Lord, why did we stop? My one and only girl is gone. It's over now. Why did we stop? Why did we stop? You could have came back for her later. Why did we stop? Well, Jesus comforts this man, verse 36. This is a critical verse here. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Only believe. In this word, only believe, pistuos, in the present tense, another translation could be just keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep relying on me. I got this. I got this. I know it doesn't look good, but I got this. So they keep moving. Let's keep going, Jairus. I got this. Trust me. Jairus must have been in the fog right now and wondering what in the world is going on. Well, as they get close to Jairus' house, Jesus scales down to the three. All right, disciples, I'm just taking the three. Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. Mom and dad, come with me. Let's go inside. And then they leave that crowd to another crowd. There's a commotion going on. There's, there's people are wailing and, and weeping and screaming. There's flute playing going on. That's in Matthew it says. These are professional mourners were there at the house announcing the death of this prominent 
ruler's daughter to the whole city, to the whole village. I mean, this is a chaotic, crazy scene. And then Jesus says, as he enters in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And then they mocked him. They start laughing. What are you talking about? This proves and shows that they are just professional mourners. They weren't grieving. They were just there to do a job. And then this, Jesus says this, but putting them out, this is that word that is putting them out, is the same word that is used when he clears out the money changers and the, and the, and the animal traders from the temple. He got them out. Get these guys out of here. Let's clear the house. We don't need a crowd right now. And he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And right here, you, you are going to see the compassion of Christ. You've already seen it with this woman, but you're going to see this, the tenderness of Jesus Christ and the power at the same time. Verse 20, 41, taking the child by the hand, this dead, lifeless body, when Jesus said the child is asleep, he was talking about his temporary state of death. She was dead. Taking the child by the hand, probably warm still, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha, this means little girl or more... Literally, it could be little lamb. I mean, this is, this is a, a term of endearment that the Lord uses to talk to this little one. And he says, get up. In verse 42, immediately the girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Well, immediately, this is a miracle of all miracles. This is not a gradual thing. Immediately when he touched her and says, Talitha kum, she resurrected from the dead. And to show that she was actually resurrected from the dead, she's able, the Bible, Mark authors that she walked around, that she was completely whole. And not only that, Jesus says in his compassion, say, give her something to eat. She must be hungry. She's able to eat. All her digestive systems, everything's regenerated in an instant. This is a creative miracle that just takes place. Now when you see the tender mercy and compassion of the Lord, but you see his power raising someone from the dead. This is the first time you see someone raised from the dead in the book of Mark. And the Bible says right here at the end of verse 42 that immediately they were completely astounded. Jesus is about to elevate Jairus' faith as well. Not only does he elevate this woman's faith, he elevates Jairus' faith to a whole other level as well. He was very purposeful in this delay to allow this little girl, this 12-year-old girl to die so that he could demonstrate his compassion and his power. This is all part of the plan of God. This is also to demonstrate to Jairus who he's dealing with. This is not some prophet that could heal people. This is God himself who could raise someone from the dead. Jesus, by his actions, is saying to him, keep believing in me. I am bigger than death, Jairus. Do you realize who you're dealing with? 
I'm more than a healer. I'm more than a special doctor. I am the giver of life. I am the one who breathed life into Adam's lungs. I am the one who was able to raise your little girl back to life. Keep believing. Keep persevering in your faith. This whole portion when it says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe, has just been really just radiating in my mind and my heart, particularly with everything going on with us. I mean, what could be scarier than death, right? Do not be afraid. What, what can be scarier than death? All right? He tells them, do not be afraid. I mean, uh, death of a child. is one and only child. This is, uh, we understand why he may have been upset. Do not be afraid, he says. Perhaps you're sitting here right now getting ready to celebrate Christmas without the loved ones that you've had for many, many decades. Do not be afraid, the Lord says. I mean, for us, we're thinking about dad dying, going to eternity any day. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And where this has really challenged me is this. As a son, I'm grateful for my, our father's profession of faith, and for him to do that is a big deal. I mean, culturally, for him to do that, I mean, he'll say no, no, no for many years. And for him to finally say yes, I mean, he was saying no to a lot of things back home. A lot of ancestor stuff, a lot of things that he was taught as a child, saying no to his village back home. God has just really been ministering to me and and, and Mako in this way in the sense of just because it's not on your own terms. I know you don't want it this way. Just because you like to see more fruit even perhaps of genuine salvation Disbelieve. Keep believing. The one who made everything, who spoke everything to existence, who authored a salvation plan, trust me. It's not on your own understanding. Trust me in it. Trust me that I'm the God of eternity. This is just a pit stop. There's something more, there's something much more in eternity. I mean, death is a part of life. We understand this. But when it gets this close to home, our thinking doesn't get as clear sometimes. Mine particularly. Do not be afraid any longer. Keep believing. And as, as I think about some encouragements from this portion, besides the things that we already talked about, three things come to mind. And I hope this is particularly encouraging to the church here. Who does Jesus see in the crowd? Number one, just serving this whole journey from the shore all the way to Jairus' house, you see that Jesus sees your soul and not your status. I mean, as Sister Tiffany read Deuteronomy 7, 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Talking about Israel. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. God does not show partiality. God is not impressed by our religious accomplishments or religious achievements. God is not uh, impressed by our abilities, which are from him anyway. God is not impressed if you're rich or poor. 
By the way, he's the one that's giving you that wealth, whatever level of wealth that you may have. He's not impressed if you're a man or a woman, obviously. He doesn't care if you're famous or obscure. Nobody cares. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care what, what ethnicity you are. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the Bible says, that Jesus will save. Jesus is available to all. So number one, he doesn't care about these, your status. He cares about your soul. This is what matters the most. Number two, second encouragement. Jesus sees your faith in trials. Providence, which we defined before as, as purposeful sovereignty, led to the trials, led to Jairus' daughter's death or sickness and then death. God's purposeful sovereignty led to this woman bleeding for 12 years. But all, both trials drew these Jairus and the woman to Christ, to come to Christ. As you're sitting there, brothers and sisters, I want you to really consider something right now. Consider your own testimony right now. How many of us can say a certain trial, it could be big or small, has drawn us to Jesus Christ? What a mercy that was, wasn't it? What a mercy, looking back, that Jairus' daughter was able to get sick and this woman was bleeding for 12 years. None of them would have asked for that. But in God's purpose for sovereignty, he ordained these things so that these two will be drawn to Jesus. Both drop to the feet of Jesus Christ. Both of them are at the feet of Christ. Both saw Jesus as their only source of hope. And both had their faith grown by Jesus. If you're a guest right now, you're, you're not a believer, and perhaps a friend or relative brought you here, or maybe you're, you just came here on your own. Perhaps a trial brought you in today. Could be sickness, could be sadness. Perhaps you're feeling lonely during this Christmas season. Perhaps finances aren't good. I mean, whatever the trial may be, well, just know from this account that Jesus is intentional and purposeful in everything that he does. Everything that he does. So whatever faith that you have in Jesus, I mean, do you think this woman had a full understanding of Jesus Christ, nor Jairus? Of course not. Of course not. But they responded with what they knew. What they knew. My encouragement to you is this. Whatever you have, whatever belief or faith that you have, respond to God today. Respond to Jesus Christ as God today. And as he receives you, he will grow your faith. He will grow your faith just like he did with these two. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. See that? All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. If you come to Christ, he will not reject you today. This is what this is about. He will receive you. And third encouragement tells us how he does it. Third encouragement, Jesus sees your need for him. Jesus sees your need for him. What did he do to both this woman and to this little girl? He healed them. 
But some unthinkable things took place now. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus. What, does, what did Leviticus 15 say? Anyone who has contact with someone unclean will be unclean. What does he do to raise Jairus' little girl to life? He takes her by the hand. He didn't need to do that. He could have spoke her into life with just his words. Jairus must have been thinking, what is he doing? He must know what the law says, and to touch a dead body will make him unclean. I'm not even sure Jairus would have touched her body. But here's Jesus, the Holy One, touching her, taking her by the hand, and saying, Talitha kum, little girl, little lamb, be raised. Jesus takes on their uncleanness to make them whole. You know what Jairus was getting right there? Jairus was getting a, a sermon in action about what the gospel is all about. The gospel was being sung to him, as Pastor Kane talked about. The gospel was being sung to him by his actions. He must have been thinking, what kind of love is this? That he would touch my little girl. And in essence, Jesus was giving him the picture of what will take place on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin. God the Father made Jesus Christ who was perfect and holy to be sin. God the Father treated the perfect holy one, his own son, to be the worst of sinners. So that, why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus Christ. Meaning, Jesus Christ was treated like the worst of us so that he could be treated, so that you and I could be treated like we live this perfect life. He takes our worst and gives us his best. He takes us our impurity and gives us his purity. This is what he does. This is what happens on the cross. Jesus takes our sinfulness and gives us his righteousness by touching him. He was demonstrating this. And Ephesians 2 8 says, For by faith we are saved. If you're a non believer, it is nothing that we do on our own. And if you are a believer, as, as Kenny talked about, if you want the gospel to sing in your heart, meditate. It is by grace that we are saved, not by our works, so that no one may boast. It has nothing to do with our obligation, nothing to do with our duty, nothing to do with our attendance at church. You do this because you want to be with God's people and hear from God. This is why you do this. Because you want to hear the gospel sung into your ears. This is why you come. For by grace, a free gift, we are saved. So if you're wondering, how do I respond in faith? Well, for by grace, you are saved. Through faith, believe. The, G the Bible says simply believe. Jesus says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Keep believing that Jesus is God. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is coming back sooner than later. This is how you respond, friends, if you're not a Christian. Confess, admit that you're a sinner, and believe that Jesus has done these things for you. And the Bible says, you will be saved. I think as we look at this portion of scripture, I think it's crystal clear that if you think that God doesn't care about you, you need to think again. If you think that God doesn't understand your pain, you definitely need to think again. He touched our pain. He accepted our pain. 
If you think that you are too unclean for him, you don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know what my family knows. Well, you need to think again. Jesus could heal your uncleanness. If you think that God doesn't have time for you, you need to think again. If you think that you're lost in the crowd, you need to think again. Jesus Christ sees you in the crowd. Amen? And he's coming back. And this is what Christians long for. Not his first coming. We believe that and we worship the fact that he came. Praise God. But we're longing for his return. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your son's mind and the things that he looks for. Thank you that he is no respecter of man. Thank you that he is not partial to those who are prominent. Thank you that he doesn't forget about those who are obscure. Thank you, Jesus, that you allow us to respond to a level of faith and understanding that we have in you. And thank you that you... Grow our faith, Lord. As we walk with you, you grow our faith. You show us that you're bigger than anything else. You show us that all we have is you, Jesus Christ. You show us how you loved us first. You show us how you bore the wrath of God for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as you receive us, you remind us we do not need to be afraid any longer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace. I pray the gospel would just sing in our hearts, Lord, and we would just know beyond words, beyond concepts, beyond principles, beyond idea, ideas that you love us and you're coming back for us. Help us to keep believing. Help us to elevate our faith in you. Expand our view of you, Lord Jesus. Elevate our faith in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can sing, all I have is Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.